My name is Adam. If we haven't met, I'm part of the team here at Oasis Church, and it's really good to be with you today. You know, last Saturday, it was my daughter's birthday. And we have a tradition in our household, when it's one of the kids' birthdays, it's always pancakes for breakfast. And so there I was in the kitchen flipping pancakes. I was sipping on my coffee. There was music playing in the background. The sun was shining through the windows. The kids were playing nicely. It's just one of those moments where I was grateful to God. But as I was there flipping pancakes, this song came onto the speaker. Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Now, if you don't know the story behind the song, on the 20th of March in 1991, Clapton's four-year-old son, Connor, which was the same age that my daughter turned last Saturday, he accidentally slipped from a window on the 53rd floor of an apartment building in New York City. Now, Eric Clapton was elsewhere in New York City at the time, but he had the horrific task of making the identification. And he says, I remember looking at his beautiful face in repose and thinking, this isn't my son. It looks a bit like him, but he's gone. Now, understandably, Clapton wasn't able to write music or to focus on music for a long time. But eventually, he started to strum on a guitar to try to ease his pain. And he started to play the tune for this song. And he eventually came up with the line that would be at the heart of this song. Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? And as I stood there in the, the kitchen on that Saturday morning, as I was flipping the pancakes and, and listening to the words of this sad song, it was a reminder of the fragility of life. It was a reminder of the reality of suffering and grief, which can puncture our lives at any moment, which we all must deal with sooner or later. Now, maybe you haven't had to deal with much grief in your life, and that's not wrong. But sooner or later, maybe soon, maybe a long time in the future, you'll have to deal with grief. Personally, I'll never forget the moment when my dad rang me in 2020 to let me know that my uncle John had died. He'd gone out for a walk, as he often did, and he didn't come home. He had a heart attack and he died. Then over the course of the next 12 months, three of my four grandparents passed away. Even as a church, we've experienced grief in recent months. Philip Lund passed away earlier this year. Tarshis von Blomestein, still in not even 30, a husband and a dad to three young boys, died suddenly and unexpectedly. And of course, just a couple of weeks ago, we farewelled Dirk after his tragic accident. Grief is never far from any of us. Now, maybe you've walked in this morning and you're wondering, why are we talking about death and grief? 
you know, I, I've come to church to be inspired and to be encouraged. Well, as Ivor shared a moment ago, we're, we're starting a new sermon series today that we've called When Life Hurts. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at comfort from God's word for some of the most painful problems that we face in life. And so today, we're looking at grief, and over the next few weeks, we'll look at fear, sadness, and loneliness. Now, maybe you're wondering, okay, we're doing this series, but why this series and why now? I mean, maybe for you, life is going pretty good at the moment. You're not really in the frame of mind to talk about hard things. And I would say to you, hard things are coming in your life whether you like it or not. I mean, life won't always be good. The sun won't always shine. Dark clouds will come. And it's far better to prepare for those dark clouds before the darkness actually arrives. And this is what this series is about. It's about helping to prepare us for when life hurts. It's about filling up our hearts and our minds with God's truth so that when life cuts us, as it inevitably will, we will bleed God's truth and God's love. But this series is not just about preparing for dark times. It's also about helping those who are walking through dark times. I mean, maybe you're going through a time of grief right now. Maybe you're experiencing sadness or depression. Maybe you're walking through fear and anxiety or, or you're experiencing loneliness. I mean, for, for many of us, these things aren't theoretical. They're very urgent and they're deeply personal. And it's our hope that through this series, we will be able to look at Truths from God's word that will provide comfort and counsel in our time of distress. It's our hope that we will all be encouraged to keep moving forward, to keep turning to God and to keep trusting him. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. And, and as you've heard today, we're beginning with grief. Now, I guess a, a good place to begin is with a definition of grief. And to put it very simply, grief is our natural response to loss. Grief is our natural response to loss. And this can be all different kinds of losses. It might be the loss of a loved one, the death of a husband or a wife or a parent or a child. That's often the case. But it might be the loss of a, of a dream. Maybe you're grieving the fact that you don't have a husband or a wife or a child or a parent. Maybe it's the loss of a friendship or a relationship. Oftentimes, our grief can feel very private and painful. It's the grief of infertility or miscarriage. It might be the grief of losing your health or your freedom or your faculties. Or it might be the grief of losing your job, or your money, or your business, or your reputation. It might be failing an exam, or your parents getting divorced, the loss of a prized possession, or the loss of a pet, even a cat. <laughs> Just kidding. 
I mean, I could go on and on. Grief, it can be a very small thing, like a child losing a toy. But it can be a very big thing, like a parent losing a child. And the question we're asking today is, what does Christianity say to us in a time of grief? How does the message about Jesus and the message of the Bible, how does it speak into our experience of grief? Now, the truth is, the Bible has a lot to say about grief. The book of Job in the Old Testament is all about suffering and grief. There's another book in the Old Testament that's simply called Lamentations. And and lots of people in the Bible experienced grief. The prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Even Jesus himself experienced grief at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And so there's lots of different ways that we could approach this topic. There's lots of different passages in the Bible that we could turn to. But today, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this book of the New Testament. And specifically, we're going to look at verses 13 to 14, because they give us some key insights into the nature of grief and our response to grief. So I'm going to read for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in the city of Thessalonica, he says this. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now to give you some background, a few years earlier, the Apostle Paul had started a church in the city of Thessalonica. Now, normally, when he did this, when he started a church, Paul would hang around for a few years. He he would teach them, and he would train leaders. But after about three weeks in Thessalonica, Paul was driven out of town by some opponents of the gospel. He had to run for his life. And so you can imagine that the Apostle Paul was worried about this young, fledgling church. He hadn't had a chance to teach them and instruct them and guide them. And it seems like there was some confusion among this church, especially about death and the future. And this is why Paul wants to inform them. He wants to give them the true perspective on on death and grief and the future. And this is what he's doing in these verses. He's giving the Christian perspective on, on death and grief. And these really are some amazing words. And what we see in these verses is what Simon Manchester says. He says that Christianity does not subtract grief, at least not in the short term. There's no magic wand that removes grief in the immediate sense. This is not what Christianity does, and it's not what Christianity promises. But it does add the solution to our grief. It provides real hope in the midst of our grief. And this is what a Christian has, both grief and hope. And so this is what we're going to see as we look at this passage together. And I'd like to just pull out two key insights for us from these verses. Firstly, that grief is part of life. And secondly, 
that grief will pass away. So firstly, grief is part of life. Look again at verse 13 and notice what Paul says there because it's subtle, but it's important. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, Paul does not say, we don't want you to be uninformed so that you do not grieve, full stop. Paul's goal is not to stop the Thessalonians from grieving. Paul's goal is to stop them from grieving in a certain way. He's not saying to them, you shouldn't be grieving. He's saying to them, you do not have to grieve hopelessly. And the point is that grief for the Christian is not wrong. Grief is not unchristian. Grief is a normal part of life in our fallen world. Grief is our natural response to loss. This is how the Bible puts it in another part, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. These well-known words made famous by the birds, the band, not the birds in the trees. Verses 1 to 2 and verse 4, Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Ever since the fall in in Genesis 3, when, when mankind rebelled against God, when sin entered into our world, when death became our immediate destiny, our lives and our world has been marked by beauty and brokenness by joy and pain, by life and death. And this is why grief is a part of life in this world. And this is why grief is not wrong or unspiritual for the believer. And this means we don't have to, nor should we, bury our grief. We don't have to hide it or pretend it isn't there We don't have to put on a fake smile. We don't have to pretend we're okay when we're really not. We don't have to apologize for our tears. We are allowed to grieve. God invites us to grieve. In fact, God is near to us in our grief. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you know when when Jesus lost his friend Lazarus, when, when Lazarus died and Jesus arrived at the tomb, do you know what he did? He didn't say, well, don't worry, he's in a better place now. He didn't say, don't worry, in just a moment, I'm gonna raise him up. No, he grieved, he wept, he cried out in pain. Shortest verse in the Bible is also one of the most profound. Jesus wept. And if Jesus grieved the loss of Lazarus and others in his life, then we too can take the time to grieve our losses. In fact, when we deny ourselves the time and the space to grieve, we only deny ourselves the opportunity to heal. When we deny ourselves the time and the space to grieve, we only deny ourselves the opportunity to heal. Now, of course, we never really move on from our grief. 
especially when it's the, the death of a loved one. We simply learn to move forward with it. And, and we're all gonna move forward in different ways. I mean, grief looks different for different people. For some people, they move forward quite quickly. They're able to, to get on with life quite quickly. For others, gr- grief can take time and they move forward very slowly. And neither's right or wrong. For some people, they grieve loudly and audibly and visibly with loud cries. Other people grieve very quietly and softly with, with a deep inner sadness. Grief is different for different people. Because grief is not simple, it's not straightforward, it's complex and it's messy. And this is why, if you've ever experienced grief, you know that it can be a little bit like walking through a fog. You can't see very clearly and you feel lost and you feel afraid. Or if you've ever sat with a grieving person, you've probably struggled to know what to say and what to do. It can be difficult to know how to navigate grief, both our own and others. But we can't let our pain and our confusion and our awkwardness stop us from entering into grief. In fact, Nancy Guthrie is an American author and Bible teacher, and she's written a book. It's called What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps. And then in brackets, and what really hurts. Now, Nancy has walked her own journey with grief. She and her husband lost two infant children. And it led them to begin to minister to grieving people. They started these respite retreats where they would uh, invite others who have lost children to come and to process their grief together. And so they've walked with a lot of grieving people. And in the book, Nancy shares some of their stories what other people have done for them or said to them, which has been especially helpful or meaningful in their grief. And I want to share some of those stories with you to help us become a church community where we can weep with those who weep, where we can learn to walk with one another in our grief. And so here's some of these stories from people in this book. Emily, she says, when my grandmother passed away from dementia... Someone wrote, I'm so sorry you didn't get to say goodbye the way you wanted to. It still brings tears to my eyes that someone said exactly what I didn't even know how to express. Lindsay writes and says, almost a year after our infant son was born dead, a woman at church talked about him, using his name in a conversation, and I almost wept with gratitude. I didn't realize how much it hurt that everyone tried not to talk about him to protect me from further pain, when really the most pain was from others dodging his existence at every turn. Jan writes, and she says, my husband and I were in our doctor's office waiting room a few months after our 34-year-old son died. An acquaintance whose son had played basketball with our son worked there. She glanced at us from the back of the office and could have easily looked away. Instead, she got up from her desk, walked out and around through several doors and came up to us. She said, I'm sorry to do this here, but this has to be acknowledged. She tenderly hugged each of us in the middle of the waiting room. I had some tears, but it touched my soul. 
And, and there are many other examples. And Nancy says the point is not to ignore grief, whether our own or, or others, but to enter into it, to be near to it. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's awkward. But God calls us to walk this journey together. Because grief is part of life in this world. But praise be to God that it's not the whole story. Yes, grief is part of life in this world, but it's not a permanent fixture. It's not an eternal reality. And this is also what the Apostle Paul goes on to show us there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He goes on to show us that grief will pass away. This is our second point. He says there in verse 13 that even in the midst of very deep grief, we can have hope. Why? Well, look what he says there in verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This is the Christian hope. It's the hope of resurrection. And it's grounded on, the, it's grounded on Jesus' resurrection. The fact that he really did live, he really did die, and he really did rise again. And this hope that we have in Jesus, it's more than just wishful thinking. It's more than blind optimism. It's more than crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. I mean, if you're in hospital and, and, and you're, you're sick and you're laying on your hospital bed and you're thinking to yourself, man, I really hope I get better. I'm sorry to say, but that's wishful thinking. That's blind optimism. But if the doctor comes in and says to you, the treatment worked, you're going to be okay. Yes, you're going to have some pain for a few days, but you'll be able to go home very soon. You have real solid hope. Well, the resurrected Jesus says to us through his words, he says, it's finished. The treatment worked. Your sins have been paid for. Your future is secure. You are going to be raised one day just like me. That gives you real solid hope. It's the hope of resurrection. But it's also, notice, the hope of reunion. This is what Paul says there at the end of verse 14. He says, God will bring with Jesus. Jesus is not going to be alone. He's not going to be on his own. Because God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now notice the Apostle Paul says that for, for the Christian, death is like falling asleep. Not because you slip into a state of unconsciousness, but because it's temporary. I mean, when you go to sleep, you wake up. When you die in Christ, you will be raised again. And this is the Christian hope in the midst of our grief, that death is not a full stop, but a comma. That death is our final enemy, but not our final chapter. Because those who die in Christ, they will return with Christ. They'll be raised again. This is why at the funeral, funerals of my grandparents, each time their bodies were, were lowered into the ground, I was grieving, but not hopelessly. Because I knew it wasn't the end. I knew that the coffin would not ultimately hold them. I knew that it was a day coming when they would rise again. There really are only two kinds of funerals in this world. There are those that look 
back with gratitude and that's it. And there are those that look back with gratitude and forward in hope. And every Christian funeral is the second type. Because though every Christian in this life will have great grief, we also have great hope for the future. As Simon Manchester, Sydney Anglican minister, puts it, we have the darkness and a torch. We have the desert and a compass. We have the prison and a key. We have the ocean and an anchor. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And the disciples did indeed see Jesus again after his resurrection and they rejoiced. And we too will see Jesus again when he returns with all those who have gone before us and we will rejoice because death will be dead, grief will be finished, and God will reign forever. This is the vision that we were given there in Revelation 21, which we've already read, where the apostle John has this vision. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In other words, there are no tears in heaven. In fact, to go back to to Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton, if you look at the lyrics of the song, he actually got a few things right. He writes in the chorus, Beyond the door, there's peace, I'm sure, and I know there'll be no more tears in heaven. And he's right, beyond the door, the door of Christ, there's peace, there's healing, and there's wholeness, and there's joy. There are no more tears in heaven. Then he goes on, and in the the final line of the song, he sings, I must be strong and carry on, because I know I don't belong here in heaven. And he's right. We don't belong in heaven. We don't deserve heaven. But the amazing news of the gospel is that the God of heaven has not remained in heaven. He has not remained distant from us, but he has become one of us in Jesus He has drawn near to us. He has wept like us. But even more than that, he has died for us. So that we, the undeserving, might belong in heaven. So that we might come home to him. So that we might receive forgiveness and eternal life. And so let me close with this from from Nicholas Walterstorff. Nicholas is an American philosopher and theologian. And his oldest son, Eric, died in a mountain climbing accident in 1983. And and Nicholas wrote a very moving book called Lament for a Son. And I warn you that the the passage I'm about to read from his book is very forthright. It almost sounds like one of the Psalms of Lament. But he lands where I think the Bible does. Here's what Nicholas says. How is faith... To endure, O God, 
when you allow all this scraping and tearing on us. You have allowed rivers of blood to flow, mountains of suffering to pile up, sobs to become humanity's song, all without lifting a finger that we could see. You've allowed bonds of love beyond number to be painfully snapped. If you have not abandoned us, explain yourself. We strain to hear. But instead of hearing an answer, we catch sight of God himself, scraped and torn. Through our tears, we see the tears of God. The God of heaven left heaven. He did more than lift a finger. He sent his own son to enter into our world of sin and sorrow, to bear our sin and sorrow, so that one day we can live with him and with one another, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And this is our hope in the midst of our grief. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have not remained in heaven, that you have not remained distant from us, aloof from our pain, unfamiliar with our grief and unconcerned about our predicament. But you have entered in. You have allowed yourself to be scraped and torn so that one day we can belong in your presence where there'll be no more scraping and tearing. There'll be no more pain and mourning and funerals and loss and death. There'll only be joy in your presence. And so Lord, help us in the midst of our grief to keep trusting you, to keep moving forward. Help us to come alongside one another, to enter in, to weep with those who weep. And help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus until that day when our faith is made sight and our hope is realized. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.